Local voices, local conversations. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com, and it is my pleasure to be joined once again by Napa County Clerk, Assessor, Registrar, Recorder, John Tudor. John, welcome back. Always good to have you here. We're about a year out from the earthquake. Talk a little bit about, as you prepared and put together the assessment roles for this year, what impact, if any, the earthquake had on all of that? Well, the earthquake had some impact, especially on people's homes. Uh, and businesses and lives, of course, as far as the uh, county assessment role was concerned, uh, it was not a significant impact. Uh, We actually contacted 1,400 people. um, Those were on lists that we got from the building departments and from FEMA uh, concerning those that had in some kind of earthquake damage from the inspections, not from them contacting us. So we sent to every one of those people, and then about a 1,000 of those we took some kind of a look at, and it ended up that about 408 uh, businesses and homes suffered damage significant enough to warrant a temporary reduction in their value. Mm-hmm. And so we reduced values of those 408 properties by a total of $32 million plus dollars. million dollars and that will all come back on the roll uh, as they complete their repairs I know you've been covering and so has the print media uh, the old register building that was uh, brought by Andy Beckstoffer of course Napa we didn't get a a request from uh, the, the newer office building where the back wall separated but we did get a request from the owners of what the Gordon building, which is across the street from the register building, and we gave them a significant reduction uh, because of the damage that was done to that building. So, but for the homeowners, uh, because many of the homes had been owned by people for a long time, the reduction was relatively, we, we used the current damage figure in today's market as a percentage of the current market value of the house. And if you have an old Proposition 13 base year value, what is a $20,000 damage today, which turns out to be, say, 4% of of a $600,000 home, let me think, that's not quite, that's close, a $550,000 home, because they have an old base year value of only $150,000, 4% of that's only $6,000. Right. So it was a smaller reduction, but still, <clears throat> and that comes off until they repair it, and then it goes back to what they had before. Because you have an earthquake, doesn't raise your value when you're done repairing. You get back the way it was. In fact, we had two houses or more that had to be actually torn down as long as they rebuild to their old footprint, they're going to get their old base year value back as if it was the original house, even though it's a brand new home, because it wasn't their fault that the house had to be torn down. Right. Beyond that, and beyond that limited impact that the earthquake had, it is pretty impressive to look at the assessment rolls at, what, 32, 32 and a half billion dollars. That's right. Uh, 32 Seven billion, and which is the second highest in the state of California, 
by assessed value per capita, uh, we're right behind Marin and just ahead of San Francisco. And uh, that's because we are such a special place, and the elected and appointed officials have done a good job over the past 40, what is it now, since the Ag Preserve was passed, 47 years uh, to keep the environmental and uh, manage growth of the county in a way that people really want to purchase property here. So that's one of the reasons we're as high as we are. So about $400 million of the uh, $2 billion, about $2 billion increase, or about a fifth, was related to Prop 13 with the inflationary adjustment of all homes and businesses that didn't change hands in calendar year 2014 or had no new construction. So that's about, it wasn't quite 2% this year because the cost of living was below that, but it was 1.998%, which is pretty close to 2%, right. which is maximum under Prop 13. Then another approximately $433 million represents the value that was returned as the recession is ending and homes are climbing back to their Prop 13 base year values established when people bought at the higher end of the, of the bubble. So that's another uh, about 25% of the, uh, of the role. And then the balance were just sales of property, new construction, uh, the normal activities that take place now that the Great Recession is slowly coming to an end. Right. It's interesting that it creates the, the growth controls that you were touching on before, creates this arguably virtuous circle in that the growth controls drive up the value of property and then the increase in the cost of property really slows down growth and increases the value of the property in its own way. It's it's an interesting cycle that goes on in that. Right, and one of the issues that's being discussed by the agriculture, you know, I get asked a lot, well, what if they put a moratorium on new wineries? Won't that hurt the economy? Well, the answer is it may hurt the economy. I'm not, I can't talk about that. I'm not an economist. But it probably won't hurt the assessment role because the existing wineries if there's a moratorium, suddenly take a huge boost in value if somebody wants a winery in the Napa Valley. Right. So I don't, and I'm not saying there is going to be a moratorium or anything like that, but the Ag Preservation Committee that the board appointed is working, trying to come up with minimum parcel sizes for wineries, et cetera. And whatever those, and including the winery definition ordinance, of course, the Ag Preserve, mm-hmm. all the things you and I talked about, those have all tended to keep values in the Napa Valley high because there's limited amounts of, of land, and they're not making any more of that, right. we hope, unless there's a big earthquake. Uh, so that's going to keep our values up, which has protected us for during the Great Recession. I, I think you and I talked, but back in 2010, of the 58 California counties, only nine had any kind of an increase in their assessment role. And that's for the whole county. Right. The other 49 all had a decrease. And Napa was at the bottom of the increase list with only $15 million on a $28 billion roll. So it was 0.005%. 
but at least it was in positive territory. We were one of the few counties in the state that never went negative during the Great Recession, and that's because of the value that people put and has been built by the growth controls and the limited scarcity of what we have in the Napa. Mm-hmm. Back when uh, you were a supervisor and you looked at the county rolls then, the county budget, the revenue, the, the money going out, did you ever think you'd see the rolls at thirty, almost $33 billion? Well, I have, uh, and I'll bring it up quick while we're talking, I have an average AV uh, change from the uh, prior year, and the numbers... This was an issue that was raised, and I talked with other members of the media about. Our average increase in assessed value over the years has been in the, up until the Great Recession, it was in the 10% range, okay? But that's getting, and so the original assessment rule, I don't have it here, but back in 1978 when Prop 13 passed, the total assessment role was $1.8 billion, okay? $1.8 billion. And we broke $10 billion for the first time in 1998, which is only, what, 17 years ago. Right. Broke $20 billion in 2005, okay, which is only 10 years ago. And we broke $30 billion in 2014, which is just last year. So you can see that that base value of the whole county has gone up spectacularly. I didn't plot a graph of it. If I knew how to do it, I'd do that. But it's going to start out slow and then go whoopsie. Right. <laughs> it's your base. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. When I was elected in 1972, I don't have that value here, but I was on the board in 78. And so I guess I could extrapolate it back. But the... Uh, the value in 1978 when I was on the board was $1.8 billion. So that's quite a change. Pretty remarkable. It's, it's, one of, yeah, it's one of those graphs that looks a lot like a hockey stick when you see it uh, projected out that way. Right, right. <laughs> so, yes, that's a great question. And the other part that comes out of that is our, our average growth per year is never going to be again in the 10% range. I mean... The biggest growth we've had in the past, well, that I can see here, and I'm pretty sure it's true. So the biggest growth we've had in the past 48 years was 2.2 uh, billion in a single year, and that was back in bubble year. Mm-hmm. Here of the bubble. Well. That a two point two billion on a twenty three billion dollar roll is a ten percent increase. On a thirty two billion dollar roll, we had almost two billion dollars. It's only a six point three nine percent increase. So we're never going to see. I can't imagine us seeing a three billion dollar annual increase in our roll that would get us back to ten percent or close to it. So we're gonna be in the five, six, seven percent range if things are going really well for a, a quite a while into the future until there's another recession. Right. The the interesting graph to see would be the the growth in the assessment rolls plotted out 
against uh, another line that represented the growth and population plotted out and see how the two line up? Well, of course, uh, Napa County has had one of the slowest population growth right. in the state of California, again, because of the managed growth and our limited land, et cetera. So that would be a very interesting graph. I mean, we're at 140,000 now round figures. And uh, with a $32 billion roll, that's $240,000 per capita of assessed value, which is way above everybody else except, of course, Marin, which is the higher assessed value. With They have a greater population, but they have a much higher assessed value also. Interesting stuff. and uh, It is. Good to know that we're doing so well. <laughs> it feels yeah, we're very fortunate. And, uh, you know, I have to give credit to, as I said, not only the elected and appointed officials, but also to the people of Napa County who have continuously, at the ballot box, taken steps to ensure that growth is manageable and that the economy remains healthy at the same time. And beyond Napa, I mean, as you were talking about San Francisco and Marin, counties, that the Bay Area in general is pretty remarkable in terms of its resiliency and its economic success right now. Absolutely, and that's true nationally, and maybe internationally. Right, right. Yeah, we're very fortunate that way. Uh, Just briefly, uh, the cities pretty much fell in the same range, uh, except for the city of California. right. The... uh, the big resort that was approved by the voters in a referendum, uh, one of the two big resorts sold, and that added all by itself uh, uh, probably 4 or 5% or more to the city of Calistoga rolls, which is why there at 13.76%, and the next highest was the city of American Canyon at 7.75%. Most of the city of American Canyon's increase was because of restoring base year values or at least raising declines in values. A big chunk of that $433 million I mentioned is in American Canyon. Most of it's in American Canyon and the city of Napa uh, because those are where the houses took the big biggest hit, hit right. Recession. right. Well, all interesting stuff. We can't uh, have a conversation, John, without talking about elections. We don't have any too soon, but uh, they're not that far away in 2016. That's right. They're coming up uh, on uh, June 3rd of 2016. I'm sorry, June 7th of 2016. And uh, filing for local supervisors and various others, like Assembly and Senate, we've been hearing a little bit about. (laughs) Yes, we have. uh, That they can start pulling petitions in lieu on January 4th of 2016. So that's when the election season really starts going as people are out circulating their signatures, etc. One piece of uh, news that, thank you for calling me, that'll be coming up on the board's agenda soon is we're going to be upgrading our election system. What are we doing? uh, To a new technology. It's not going to change the fact that we're still heavily vote by mail. But those people who are voting by mail, we're going to be counting their ballots in a different way. Telepathically? No, not telepathically. We're not there yet. (laughs) Everybody says, when will we be voting over the Internet? And I keep saying, not for a while yet, because the issue, there are two big issues, as you know, with Internet voting. The first is 
somebody hacking the data as it's traveling, but that's not as big an issue as making sure that the person at the other end who says they're John Doe is really John Doe and not somebody else who somehow got a hold of John Doe's sign-on information. Right, but and you know, it's, it, it's interesting that, that more and more documents are being signed online. I mean, DocuSign being, you know, the thing that people are probably most familiar with. But, right. you know, there are certainly a lot of competitors to that. I mean, more and more transactions are being codified online. There's more and more certainty of, of exactly what you're talking about. Right, and that's because there's technology that protects the integrity of the document as it passes through the Internet. That would be true of the ballot image. The problem is it's hard knowing who marked that ballot before it was sent through, and that's part of the issue that everyone's looking at. So what is the new system that we're going to be using? What's different? Well, it's pr it's not that different. The ballots are going to look a little different. They're still, because we're 88% vote by mail, they're still going to be mailed ballots that people will get. The, the main difference is when we read them, rather than just tabulating them, which is what our former system did, and then spitting back out the ballots, the ballots will still be spit back out, but now they're going to be actually scanned and imaged. And the counting is going to take place from the image, which is going to be a live image. And for the first time, the official ballot in Napa County, after it's scanned, will be the image itself, not the paper ballot. And what, is the re what does this accomplish? What is the reason for this? Oh, it's, it's incredibly uh, more efficient once you've got the images. You can do all the things we have to do to tabulate the ballots, to make sure that we have the correct uh, ballot type and all of that. We're going to be able to, um, before, just to give you one example, we, before when somebody marked their ballot wrong, so instead of marking the arrow, now it's going to be fill in a bubble, but pretty much the same thing. Before, when, instead of marking the ballot with the Mark Arrow, people would circle the person's name and our machine couldn't read it, right? Because there mm -hmm. was no mark. We had to physically reproduce that ballot, take the original, sit down with two pair of eyes, and be able to say, this person wanted to vote for Lois Wolk for senator, say, by circling her name instead of marking the arrow. And then we would recreate that paper ballot with the correct marks in the correct places to bring the voters intent. Now we'll be able to actually manipulate the image, of course under strict controls, and remark that ballot in the image to show the voters intent. That remarked ballot will carry an audit trail, will show who marked it and when it was marked, etc. But that will then flow into the system. So we're not going to have to do all of this, we had to duplicate over 1,200 ballots in November. This time we're not going to do any of that physical duplication and we'll be able to track every one of those ballots that we had to interpret the voters' intent. And that'll all be kept in a single database that we'll have available to, um, you know, review if there are any questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Will this result in faster returns? I think that would be the question everybody wants to know the answer to. Well, we're going to be brand new in June, so I'm not going to give you any guarantees, but let me say a couple of things. One, 
they are going to be somewhat faster because we're not going to have to hold out several hundreds of ballots to duplicate them after we do the first count. We're probably still going to do some duplication after the first count, especially the second wave of ballots that come in. Uh, but the answer is we should have more ballots in the original count on election night, both vote by mail and polling place. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to shorten the time for the second major count and maybe not have to do that final third count, which we were doing now, but we'll have all that built into the second count. I don't know that exactly yet, but the odds are it's going to make it faster, not slower. Mm-hmm. Will there be a steep learning curve in terms of this new system? Could it make it slower the first time around in June? Well, it won't be a steep learning curve for the voter. That's not going to look much right. different. It's going to be a three-column ballot. And instead of marking an arrow, they're going to fill in a bubble. So, I mean, no, that it, the voters shouldn't see any real difference. There's going to be, I don't know if it's a steep learning curve. Our staff is going to have to adjust to using this new image-based technology and doing our duplicating on the fly on computers instead of marking ballots. But, no, I would think that we should be able to handle it. This system is in use in Denver Colorado and was used in their recent election back in May and went very smoothly. So this is not an untested system. It's in, it's in heavy use in uh, Colorado and in other places. And we're not the first county. We'll be one of the first counties. I think Siskiyou County is about to sign their contract with our vendor. And we'll be signing ours, I hope, in August. And what does this cost him? Is it a big expense to switch over to this system? Actually, we're leasing the system for a six-year period, Mm -hmm. so the cost per year is about the same as our current cost. So there's no real impact on the county budget. Mm -hmm. We're hoping to save some money because the way the system works, we don't need all of those big machines we purchased with federal and state dollars back in 2004. And so we're going to have many fewer machines. And, of course, the world has changed since then. Back in 2006, we had 24,000 people vote electronically. In 2014, we had three people vote electronically on the machines. So, and we've all gone primarily to vote by mail. And when these images are captured, one more thing on this, is this going to be a cloud-based process, or will it be based you know, in your office, essentially? No, absolutely. It'll, be, it'll reside on secure servers in our office. So mm-hmm. that database is not anywhere but within us and sealed off from the world and anybody else except those with access inside our network. One of the things that's changed, Jeff, that I wanted to mention is there's been a new state law to allow us, up until last year, we could not count a ballot unless it was in our hands on election night by 8 p.m. The law has now been changed to allow three days for those ballots to come to us. So as Mm. long as a ballot is postmarked on election day by 8 p.m. and arrives in our hands by um, three days thereafter, it can be counted. So that is going to give us a deal. What? Yes. Well, I mean, it shouldn't. We only get about in a normal election. We only get about 200 late ballots, 250 late ballots. So it's not that big. 
in huge counties it can be and the interesting thing is in november of 2016 the presidential election the election is on the 8th which is as late as it can get in terms of days of the week right on tuesday the 8th the 11th the holiday so the secretary of state's ruled that if we have ballots by the 14th because wow. the 11th is that third day after the election and since it's a holiday, the, the Secretary of State's ruled that as long as we have ballots in our hands by the 14th, we can count them, as long as they were postmarked before the 8th. You still can't vote after the 8th, because you know how the election came out, right? right. But I wanted, so I'm going want... to pile on with the winner, right? But <laughs> you still have to vote by the 8th, but as long as it's postmarked by the 8th, we can count them until the 14th. Well, I, let's talk about that because the the postmark is an interesting thing. Most postmarks, I mean, I think that you see on envelopes are not time stamped; they're date stamped, but not time stamped. Right, but you know, post offices vary. I don't think, except for income taxes, are they open till midnight? Right. But the law actually said until midnight of election day, even though the polls, because they don't know when they're going to. Uh, they don't know when the post office is going to postmark stuff. Right. So as long as it carries the election date, date, there isn't. So just to give you a little more information on that question you asked me about how big of an impact would it have in Napa County, let me just look something up really quick here, which is how many people's ballots were not counted last time. Because they came in too late. Right. And... That's not a bag, a big number, as I mentioned, but let me look at it here. So in the November 2014 election, there were 183 ballots received late. Okay? Those came in. We didn't know. Now, some of those were postmarked after election. Mm-hmm. But most, I'm, I don't think there many people try and vote after election day. In fact, as I've told you in the past, we get a few ballots in every election from several elections back. Right. Somebody found it in their inbox <laughs> and decided to right. vote and send it in. So, I th- in fact, we got a November 2012 ballot back in the November 2014 ballot. Wow. <laughs> uh, so there were only 183 of those. Unfortunately, a bigger issue for us is unsigned ballots that we had 191 of those where the person forgot to sign it, the, the, the envelope. Uh, we call everybody or we send them a letter if it's early enough, but unfortunately still 191 people didn't respond to our request to come in and sign their ballot. So that's a bigger number than the late. The late's going to go way down, which is great. And I'm hoping the unsigned, if I can continue, and I know you're great about giving me an opportunity to talk as the election gets closer, I'm going to be focusing on the unsigned ballot, see if we can remind people that they do have to sign their return ballot envelope. What do you hear? I want to come back to something you were talking about earlier, because mm-hmm. I read a, there was a story about this recently, and that it, it really, the view among many was that it was suppressing votes among millennials in particular, that you know, people file their taxes online. They do everything online. They live online, essentially. Mm-hmm. And and this idea of having to vote in this kind of antiquated way is a real turnoff for a lot of millennials. Where are we in that process? What do you hear from your colleagues and at conferences you go to and, and everything else about getting to that point in terms of voting? 
Well, you know, unfortunately, the 18 to 34-year-old segment of the population is one of the lowest voting segments. Uh, with online voter registration, I think you and I talked about this, which came into play, I think, in September of 2012. Four, a million people registered online between the, it opened like September 1st and the cutoff was, you know, October 20th or right. something. And in that period, over a million people registered online. And what was so exciting was 400,000 of those were young people. Right, and if and, and if young people could vote, and if they could vote online, you'd see a dramatic increase in turnout. I agree. Unfortunately, as we talked about earlier, the the security is not there uh, for the voters or for us in terms of making sure that the right person casts that ballot. Um, there are some military, as you know, we are allowing people to. Um, fax ballots back to us if they're overseas, email ballots are still not permitted. You can't scan your ballot and send it to us. Don't ask me why, but you can fax it for some reason. Um, and the military has been doing some internal work with Internet voting, but that's within the secure military system. I don't know how secure it is after everything you read. Good point. People have issues, but... Uh, that's not within the general where you and I sign on to Google and go do something. This is within their uh, enclosed network. Right. So it's coming, but it's going to be a while while they figure that out. You know, you and I talked several years ago. One way to do Internet voting would be if your computer had a, either a fingerprint image or a retinal scan image instead of just a signature. Right. I mean, everybody uh, has, I mean, if you have a newer iPhone, you have a fingerprint read, reading device on there that opens it up. I mean, we do that right. every day. That's right. And so, you know, that kind of biometric control might be something that would allow that security at who's voting at the other end of the pipe uh, to be more controlled. But we're still a ways away, and hopefully both you and I will be here when it happens, because then it'll be very exciting. Right. I mean, you know, banks are already using that tie-in to the encryption on your iPhone. With uh, one of the banks, I mean, I can, I can say, well, I mean, Chase, for example, you can open uh, your, your online banking on your phone using your fingerprint, the same fingerprint right. you used to set up your phone. Right. Yeah, we, I, they don't have your fingerprint at the bank. I right. Mean, I've never been fingerprinted yet at the bank. No. I've been almost fingerprinted every time we sign a deed at the notary's office. Right. But, so I hear what you're saying, and that, that, is, that whole security level is changing. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I have a hunch that it may happen even sooner than you think. I mean, there's, uh, well, among some people, there's a push to try and get younger people to vote, and that's the only way it's going to happen. So we'll see. Well, I'm part of that push. I want everybody to vote, young, old, in between, whatever. But I do hear you that that's changing. I mean, we've talked about this, and I don't mean to put it in the context of the debate we used to have for years about this, but particularly younger voters, millennials, I mean, the idea of voting by mail is just such a totally antiquated concept for them. They don't use mail. No, I understand that. And, you know, the, our generations and, you know, people somewhat younger than us, but not a lot younger, they miss the tradition of the polling place. You know, I, as you know, there was a great deal of controversy over the conversion to vote by mail. Right even though more than half of all Californians vote by mail now, there was still a significant 
portion of the population who I respect. I closed my own polling place, and I've been going there for 50 years or something. So, you know, it, it is something that there is that tradition part. And figuring out, how, you know, many of the millennials today, when there were still polling places, used to go to the polling place with their parents right. and watch them vote and do that. Now they're voting around the kitchen table. But we'll see what happens. It's interesting, though, that that if they were polling places today, even though, as you say, many of the millennials, you know, went with their parents to the polling places, I don't think even if there were polling places today, they would turn out. It would be even harder than by mail. It's so interesting. Oh, that's why vote by mail turnout is so much higher Uh than polling place. That wasn't a reason we did it. But that is, we did it to avoid lines of polling places. That's no longer an issue but vote by mail is now the standard uh, in California and in many parts of the country. Polling places have become, and you and I had many debates about this, and, and, and you know others chimed in as well over the years. I mean, it's almost a, a nostalgia at this point. It's just an old concept, and it's nice to think about warmly and fondly, but it's just long over. That's true, and, you know, it's like sitting on the porch at their general store in your rocker <laughs> talking to your friends. <laughs> well, that's a good place to end this. Napa County Clerk, Assessor, Registrar, Recorder, John Tudor, not sitting on his porch on his rocker, but uh, keeping busy. John, thanks so much as always. My pleasure, and talk to you soon. Thanks, John. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.